You're tuning in to the ONP Check-In, an SPS podcast. I'm Brendan Erickson, a regional sales manager at SPS. And my name is Jackie Green, a marketing specialist at SPS. This show brings you the latest happenings in the ONP industry. We're unpacking trends and news from this tight-knit orthotics and prosthetics community. Thank you for joining us. Let's get started. Autobox complete range of mechanical knees means choice without compromise for you and your patients. From products designed with lower mobility users in mind to those built to be pushed to the limits, there's a solution for everyone's ideal outcomes. Autobox mechanical knee portfolio is built to meet the needs and goals of patients with lower mobility levels to people who want to push their prostheses to the limits. Featuring waterproof solutions, like the 3R80 Autobox Complete Mechanical Knee Portfolio lets you and your patients make the best choice without compromising needs. Explore Autobox Mechanical Knee Portfolio on spsco.com. Hey guys, Jackie here. I'm on the road this week, but I wanted to pop in real quick to give you the SPS update. The rewards program is gaining over 15 additional items. Receive a 3%, 5%, or 7% discount on the additional rewards items purchased online, like the Trend Medical Trend Trauma Collar, Fill Our Motion SLX Foot, and Alps Anterior Posterior Tapered Locking Liner. Check out the link in our show notes to browse the updated digital rewards catalog. I gotta go, but I'm leaving you in very capable hands this week with special guest, SPS Sales Account Manager, Travis Ricks. Okay, Travis and I are thrilled to welcome Eric Newfeld. Eric is the CEO, founder, and chief prosthetist of Agile Orthopedics, the only mobile ONP provider in all of Colorado. We're eager to get into the details of how this clinic model works and what inspired his approach. Welcome, Eric. Happy for you to join us. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me on, guys. Good to see you. Absolutely. And um, before we dive into the topic today, could you share a little bit about how you started in the OMP industry? Sure. Um, you know, what what ended up happening was I had no real real direction after college. You know, I had a, a geography major, believe it or not. Uh, but what I really loved was making stuff. And I was doing kitchens and bathrooms and home renovations and things like that, which was fun, um, you know, but not like entirely fulfilling. Something was a bit, was missing just a bit. And my mom, I will give give my mom credit. We should all give our parents credit when it's due. Uh, introduced me to or met a woman whose son was a prosthetist, who still is a guy in Florida. And she just kind of put a bug in my ear like, hey, I heard about this this field and this friend of mine whose son does it. You should reach out. So, of course, I ignored her for a while, maybe a couple of years, actually. And Ultimately, one day, uh, I just decided to make the call. It started to sound more and more intriguing. And I uh, was in, living in New York City at the time, and he connected me with a buddy of his who said, come on by, you know, shadow me for the day. And as soon as I walked into the lab, I mean, literally within 30 seconds knew this was for me, that this was a career that I could really, really love. I couldn't believe it was something you could do, you know, for, for a living and, and do every day. So that was about, I don't know, 22 years ago or something. And, and thank God it still feels like that. And it's, it's still just really, really exciting and, uh, and engaging every single day. Yeah, that's that's actually a really cool path to where you are now. So 
What, uh, what actually inspired you to open Colorado's only mobile clinic? Well, you know, I had been involved in a number of larger OMP organizations. And uh, in, in the role that I moved into when I moved out here to Colorado was collecting a lot of data and analyzing data of the practice um, every month and every quarter. And one of the more compelling and confusing metrics I was uh, analyzing was no-show rates. So, you know, the rate of patients not showing up, which, you know, has its consequences both for the business and, and the patient. And so that was something I dug into deeply and really started to understand the barriers um, to care, the barriers, you know, including financial barriers, transportation, uh, these kinds of things uh, that led me to think maybe there's a better way to approach patient care to reduce this no-show rate and essentially improve access uh, to the care we're providing. And so I started to think through these models, and really the mobile model is is the right one, is the best one um, to address these issues uh, for the barriers to care. And uh, ultimately, you know, I tried to make, you know, tried to integrate that into a traditional practice, but for a variety of reasons, just really wasn't possible. And so uh, about eight or nine years now, uh, I just decided to do it on my own. I just believe in the model. I believed in it. I had support from from my wife, frankly, to to go for it. And um, and that's what I did. And so I bought a, a vehicle and uh, modified it into a really, really, you know, intentional O&P mobile clinic. And that's where that's where it began. And, you know, here we are later. Now we have a, a bit of a fleet and more, you know, more coverage than just just the local single van that I was using at the beginning. Um, but that that was really the inspiration of it was how to improve access and address this issue, which I believe to be a, a critical issue among the patients we serve. Yeah, man, when you, when you talk about access to care, I think that's a problem everywhere and you're finding a solution for it, um, and, and especially in our profession where lack of access to care can be dangerous and almost deadly sometimes. So I think you're, you're onto something here. And could you describe maybe from the patient side what they see and the benefits of at-home visits for them or, or just, you know, I don't know if they're always at home. I don't know if that's the right word, but you could help us out and describe all that. Yeah, I mean, a term I've started to use more and more is in place instead of at home because people are, you know, in different circumstances. Um, but by and large, it is true. We, we do see people at home uh, most of the time. But, you know, in place might be just a better way to think about it. Um, so from from their experience, some some of them, it's it's a necessity, right? There are, you know, there's a term social determinants of health. And, and this is kind of what I was describing earlier, where barriers to receive care, whether it's tra transportation, financial support, you know, family support, uh, these kinds of things. So eliminating that, um, people do do understand the value and appreciate the value. And, you know, beyond that primary driver, I think people just appreciate it. You know, it feels like just a very nice thing to do for people, to see them on their own terms, in the comfort of their own home, the message is there. The message is like, um, I really care about you, you know, so much that 
you just relax. Like we're going to come to you. You don't have to deal with figuring out accessoride or, or asking for a favor from your neighbor or your, your children or whatever. Uh, we'll figure it out. We'll just see you. And uh, so it, there's that soft side to it, the messaging of we just care about you. And this is a very nice thing to do for people. And if you could do it efficiently, you know, then it's not it's also, you know, not an issue in terms of running a business. There are ways to do it um, very, very efficiently. That that has become, I, I think, when I'm questioned, and, and maybe this is on your list, right? Like, how can this be an efficient model uh, where you're wasting all this time driving uh, on the road? But um, when you have a zero no-show rate, that kind of uh, creates the efficiencies, um, among other ways to organize your day and plan accordingly and things like that. Wow. I, I mean, just following up to it, I think that some of the obvious reasons for people at no shows are there, but then now you just sparked in my brain. I've got two young kids. What if I just am too busy, right? But having you come to my in-place visit is much easier and I don't need to get daycare or something like that. I mean, this really could go kind of infinite across all the people's, you know, whatever issues they have in their life. This this solves a problem. It's true. I mean, look at look at our culture at large between Amazon and Uber Eats and, and Lyft. And, you know, it's like this is a culture of convenience that we've developed for ourselves. And so seeing people at home, at home services, in place services, you see these more and more us all, you know, medical clinical services aside just life you know it's it's difficult it's difficult enough when you don't have these um these barriers like we discussed it is hard i'm in the same boat with you know two small kids and two working parents it is hard to just make it to an appointment without rescheduling a million times and stressing out so um you know even thinking about those without those resources and support it's just hard and so um yeah, I think we are just part of an overall movement of convenient, you know, a convenience culture that we're living in right now. Yeah, Eric, I would say just for being an amputee and, and living this life, uh, what you're saying is is amazing. I, I, I love the in place instead of at home side of that mindset because, you know, you work a nine to five job and your prosthetist works a nine to five job. Finding time to go visit them means you're taking sick leave or you have to take vacation time. And so having the ability to maybe meet over lunch is such a great thing. And so I think the flexibility of that and the access side of that is such a great thing for the patient. Uh, and, and I love it. Uh, really actually curious about what a typical day would look like for you. Could you walk us through maybe what that looks like on your side of things? Sure. You know, uh, we do have we have practitioners and and the mobile clinics are throughout Colorado. So some of the practitioners are truly on their own in their own region or market. Uh, So they're very much autonomous. All practitioners make their own schedules and communicate directly with patients. And uh, that's part of access too. is access to your provider, access to your practitioner. I don't know when the last time you tried to call a physician or contact a physician or even a physical therapist or that's getting harder and harder. The gates that you have to cross are getting like so complex uh, that we, one of our values is access in general. So access to care, you know, through the model we're providing, but, but access to the practitioner directly through, you know, text messaging, calling directly, scheduling directly, I think does 
eliminate confusion and just delays and, and all kinds of other administrative barriers. So practitioners are empowered um, to you know fully organize and plan and schedule directly with patients. And then, you know, generally it's being just highly organized. I'm sure we'll get into sort of the the right practitioner or the, you know, profile of the, the mobile practitioner, but it takes a ton of just being prepared and organized. So again, you know, like you're, you're leveraging these efficiencies on the road. But uh, I'd say on average, you know, seeing, just to answer the question directly, you know, planning and seeing five, to six patients each day would be kind of a busy a busy day. Uh, our practice is just about all prosthetics. Um, you know, in one of our markets, a bunch of pediatric orthotics and, and um, cranial work, but by and large, we're doing only prosthetics. And so seeing, I'd say four to six patients a day would be a typical load, uh, patient load. And then, you know, for the group that's in our um, home, like our, our headquarter area in Denver, will regroup and sort of huddle at our uh, facility here where we have, you know, office space and fabrication and, and things like that. And then you know, sort of dispatch out and, and coordinate and, and connect as a group. But, um, you know, it's, it's a group of independent practitioners that sort of come together as part of a team. And, and Agile just has become more of a platform um, for folks to develop their own practice and, and maintain their own base. Yeah. So I'm just going to piggyback on what you said. And we do have a question about the talent that is on your team. And uh, I mean, we see it across the nation that, you know, getting good, talented people, especially even technicians, um, is getting really difficult. Um, but it sounds like you've got an excellent team and you talk about organization, and everything. Um, has it been a challenge to find good talent? Uh, is there, um, opportunities like this, you think, in other states? Uh, how does this new kind of niche piece of the market look for um, the labor side of things? You know, it is, I think that in our industry, this recruiting and, and talent is is getting harder and harder, I think, you know, for a number of reasons. For us, I think it's been long enough where I've recognized the, you know, the right person for this kind of job. And it, it really it really requires people who are good at improvising you know, you're on site, you're kind of solo. Uh, you've got to figure out what you can do with what you've got on board. Um, so people who can improvise, people who are highly organized, who are self-motivated, because again, at least the platform we've developed, we're not just like dispatching you on a schedule. Um, it requires a lot of this, uh, you know, motivation and um, just, you know, being independent and aggressive about that and kind of multitasking. So to be a mobile OMP practitioner, you are the front office, you are the practitioner, you are the technician. And you got to be cool with that because it's a little more cushy to have a front office and a technician. Uh, so you got to be excited about that. You got to be kind of gritty and um, very, very flexible. You know, I'd say the ideal experience level is probably at least seven or eight years of experience. It, you know, I think it is challenging for a newer practitioner to have this level of responsibility to be so independent out in the field, um, managing not only the clinical case, but just the overall case, right? You've got, um, you know, the administrative side of things, you're, you're dealing with family members, just the overall situation as a whole requires some life experience and maturity and, and good decision making and evaluation. 
so, you know, going back to your comment, we've been really lucky uh, to attract the right people that are excited about this model and excited about what, what we're doing and um, this type of work, uh, always looking for more, you know, like-minded practitioners. And it is a tough, it's a tricky, tricky recruit for sure. Yeah, Eric, sounds like your your practitioners wear a lot of hats. So, I mean, it, it's a, a juggling act for sure. But, you know, I, I think that there's probably some uh, benefit to that, allowing them to to be able to have a hand in every part of the trade when they go and work with these uh, patients. So we've got a lot of listeners out there that are probably interested in this kind of business model. Um, we've heard a lot from the students that are you know coming into the field that this is something they'd be very interested in. Uh, for someone who's been there and done that and built such a great, you know, company uh, with this model, do you have any advice for anybody who may be looking to do this in another state? Yeah, that that's something I think about a lot, and I do field a lot of a lot of calls and a lot of conversations about this. And I'll answer I'll answer with with a, a comment one of my partners Pavel made to me once, which made so much sense. And he said, uh, "Mobile O and P is not about the van." You know, it's uh, anybody could go buy a van and put a, a grinder and heat gun and whatever you want in there. It's really not about that. It's about a completely different mindset of, um, you know, providing this access and equity in healthcare. And if that's something you're passionate about, this model might work, uh, but it is hard. Uh, and so being realistic about this model is somewhere that I would start with. Uh, I think that on the very surface of it, it sounds really cool and it's the open road and you're making your own schedule and you're having coffee with your patients in their kitchen. But um, it's hard work. And, there, you know, for the reasons we already discussed, because you're wearing all those hats and you have to improvise and you have to stay on schedule and the support out in the field, although we can leverage technology all day long, is limited. It is all you uh, throughout the day. And there are there are dogs and there are bad neighborhoods and, you know, there are things to navigate, um, you, you know, houses that are just not that fun to be in and uh, cigarette smoke and, and these kinds of things that need to be navigated beyond the challenges of patient care when you don't have a full, you know, 10 foot parallel bars and, you know, other people to help you. So just being realistic about that. This is hard work. It's hard work, period, O&P. You know, we work hard in general. Um, but this particular model, you know, I think it can be very gratifying and a lot of fun. Um, but just to be realistic about it, um, you know, the both being alone a lot uh, is a big part to consider. Uh, being on the road is something that isn't for everybody. Uh, but if it is something that speaks to you, I think there is opportunity you know, everywhere. There's certainly like the rural markets require, you know, some mobile aspect uh, that can help provide access and, and limit, um, you know, some of those uh, determinants of health. But then also in the urban environments, that's where the efficiencies can really come in because you're not on the road a ton. Um, and so that's where it could work really well also. And we've seen some success there. I hope that answers the question. It's well, a hard I, I one, really. brought up a couple more questions for me. And you said being alone on the road. I just want to give a hint to everybody out there. You can always find comfort in the O&P check-in podcast when you're, when you're you know, out there alone on the road. Um, no, but in all seriousness, you, you brought up some challenges. And that's what I was going to ask you is, 
I think, especially in our industry, telling people no sometimes is the hardest thing. And I imagine due to distance or time constraints or whatever barriers you are you know, running into on that day, there's probably some times that you have to say no. And you're doing that maybe more frequently than somebody who just calls and uses a, um, a front desk person to schedule and they're the barrier. But now it's you, Eric Newfield, as CPO, as care provider, having to possibly say no to somebody on a day. Is, is that tough? And how do you get through that? It's a skill, right? Saying no is is a skill to develop, and it, it is it's harder harder than it ought to be. But you know that the situation comes to mind where some will get a referral or even a self referral from a patient calling, say for a cam walker or uh, or pedorthic care, you know, uh, foot orthoses. That's hard. You know, that is hard to take an hour and a half or two to dry, you know, to send a practitioner. Um, to do that. And so these are some of the more difficult practice business decisions we've made um, is to limit the scope of what of what we do for a variety of reasons. But um, saying no to someone that needs help, I mean, somebody who needs foot orthoses or a cam walker, they're suffering and, and really do need the care. But we've had to say, you know, we're just not positioned well to provide that care. Here are some options. Really sorry. Um, you know, but there are many qualified providers in the area and, and you know, ho- hopefully we can, uh, you can get taken care of. So that comes up quite a bit, honestly. Um, and so that that's kind of what comes to mind about having to, yeah, have some boundaries uh, for the sake of our practitioners and the business as a whole. It's so funny because that echoes a lot from what we've heard on past podcasts about, um, just even people working with their family, like we had, you know, the Snells on and we've had Rachel Friddle on and they work so closely with all their family. The number one thing that they both said was, let's be full and transparent and set good barriers and boundaries. And once we know what those are set, we can work around them, we can do them. And then you don't have the emotional side around it. You know, you know what your boundaries are, you know what you can do. And, you know, you've kind of got your plan and just go, go follow it, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that the reason we're all in the field and, and even you two guys, like, we just want to help people. We just want to say yes, so like whatever it takes. Uh, and so that creates the conflict. But I, I do think you're right. When there are clear barriers and and guidelines, that helps. That helps inform the answer and, and how we do it. We do spend time. We've spent time as a team on workshopping, how do you say no, um, both to a patient and to referral sources, or when you get a you know hospital call, how do we say no? And and some of that is the the language I just used. You know, like we're just not positioned really well to do a great job at that, and and that kind of thing. And providing alternatives, I think, is the complete way to say no. And so, um, y- yeah, it's it is that is an interesting thing. Uh, when you have limited resources, you know, like a small practice that, that we have, you have to do that. Okay, I got one more question for you. Do you know what car of car that Travis um, drives? I don't. Uh, I drive an. Uh, well, I actually have uh, a van myself. Yeah, I, I actually I, I'm love everybody who's doing mobile stuff right now because I took a old Sprinter, made a a camper van out of it, and it's still a work in progress. But as you as I've seen some of the vans like yours. It makes my mind, you know, really uh, start thinking about what I could do if I put one of these together. And it's not easy because you you actually have to decide 
the things that you need in a small space, the things that you can take with you. And I'm sure that's extremely challenging, right? Because it's like you want to take an entire lab to someone's house, but you can't. So you got to really pick and choose the things that you have in these vans, right? Well, I, first of all, I, I would love to see what you've got going on. Yeah, I, I love the space and how like the, the evolution of the camper vans. And I love that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's funny, though, like what you what you're expressing, it's almost the opposite. Like what I've noticed over the years is you need remarkably little, like way less than I had at the beginning. So the first mobile clinic, man, I had this thing, just every single thing you could possibly think you may need. I What I've recognized is that if you plan accordingly and you know what you're getting into and you ask questions on the front end and have a little intake process with the patient, you could be incredibly prepared with very, very little. And so um, that's been a surprising lesson over the years is how much you could do with very little if it's the right stuff, if it's just the right amount and you keep up with it and make sure if you use something, you you know replace it and kind of create a little checklist manifesto of uh, the vehicle when you're done. But uh, it is a less is more kind of thing. And, you know, keeping it, it's more like about being organized over having everything uh, is kind of the the overriding message or or lesson that I've learned. Do you over guys time. have Marie Kondo like on on stream in your office all the time? <laughs> Just yeah, channel we, we channel Marie we Kondo, channel that yeah. all the time. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I I am constantly getting people like we do a weekly you know every every mobile clinic clean it out throw stuff out replace stuff yeah we we've got a good little system of that keeping everything tight. Cool. So, I mean, we've covered a lot here. Is there something that um, you'd like to share that we didn't touch on in the questions? No, I. this is such a fun conversation. I mean, I truly appreciate the interest and, and the excitement over the business model. Um, you know, again, I think it's it's the right thing to do in, in, in our case. Mobile care has nothing to do with the vehicle. It's about access and equity and, um, you know, overcoming these social determinants of health. And uh, that's what we're all about. And I think knowingly or not, that's what any mobile healthcare practice is about. It's so true. It's all about the person, the mindset, the determination, the organization, the execution. I mean, everything that you said. So congrats to you guys for running an awesome um, business and just being good, great people. Uh, we really appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, thank you guys and and SPS in general. You guys, you know, thanks for the support and and the interest and and just um even just supporting me personally and our our practitioners. Um you guys are great and love the podcast, you know, being on the road all the time. Uh we do a lot of podcasting, uh, listening to podcasts, so um the check-in is is right there at the top of the list. Ah, oh, that's so cool. Thank you. Yeah, thanks Eric. If you'd like to connect with Eric on LinkedIn or learn more about Agile Orthopedics, follow the link in our show notes. Thank you for tuning in to The ONP Check-In, an SPS podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to episodes. And while you're at it, rate and review the podcast to help fellow ONP professionals find us. Email us your topic suggestions and feedback at SPS Podcast at spsco.com. See you next time.